You'll never believe this. A pastor and a rabbi walk into a podcast. To discuss how faith and tradition should inspire but never limit us. Yeah, we talk about surfing, stand-up comedy, religion, family issues, pop rocks, and absolutely nothing at all. You'll have so much fun, you'll never believe we're actually religious leaders. What's up, man? Why you look so bored? I don't know. I just, I just been, uh, you know, hanging out, sitting here for a couple minutes. I see you got a pop screen. It looks like your face is a lunar eclipse right now because you you have the light, the halo light on your ceiling behind your head, and then your big bald head, and your headphones covering half of that, Excuse and then me. you've got the pop the pop screen covering half so, your face. This head is not bald. This is not a bald head. Come on now. This is a nicely shaven head. was light in my life. Now there's only Jamie's eclipsed head. It's not that good. Total eclipse (laughs) of the podcast. What's up, brother? How you doing, man? I'm good. I just took a huge poop and it was like, it was bad, man. It felt like, like, um, someone put hot sauce on my butt. It was like burning. Ooh, Ooh, those are good. Those are the kind that I really love. I look forward to those. In fact, are you kidding? I just feel like I need a shower afterwards too. (laughs) I don't want to say who it was, but I once roomed with someone who like, if he did poop, like it wouldn't it, it, like, and he was like, had a like, date coming up or something. That was it. He had to shower before he did it. And I was like, why are you showering beforehand? And he's like, he's like, well, I mean, you know, it could smell there. I was like, why is her head anywhere even near that zone? <laughs> like what's going what, on back there? <laughs> what sort of first date plans do you have? It's seriously. I mean, like at the dance club, like I get down and dirty, but that's, that's down and dirty. Speaking of first dates, have you seen uh, Kumail Nanjani's Big Sick? No, I have not. Really funny, really great movie. It's probably a year or two old at this point, but he just nailed it. And he he co-wrote, co-wrote wow. that with his wife. And it's his it's the story. It's a romantic comedy with Kumail. And uh, it's the story of his wife. She co-wrote, but somebody acted in her place. And basically, they go on a first date. They have a great first date. And then she right. she gets sick. And he's like taking care of this woman that he only went on one date with and the great, the best line, the, the the best line it's actually in the trailer is she says to him, that was incredible. I rarely have sex twice on my first date. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's why I thought of it. Oh, good times. Um, what was I going to say? Yo, so tell me what's news. What's uh things are good. Things are going all right in your neck of the woods. Yep. Everything's good. Just, Getting back to work after Thanksgiving. I took the week off. So, oh man, how was Thanksgiving? It's good. We did, uh, we went up to Tahoe for a few days and visited Kendra's dad and skied and hung out with him and um, his wife, Jeanette. And that was a lot of fun. And then um, came back, did Thanksgiving with um, her side of the family in the area. good but we just kind of had a down week with the girls they have off school did did you have off school the entire thanksgiving week growing up or just thanksgiving and friday oh yeah it was just like i don't think it was even a four-day week it was like a four-day weekend right no it wasn't the whole week no way yeah no our girls had the whole week off which is good and bad i mean it made it nice because i i had time to take off before the end of the year so i was like i'll just take the whole week off with you but 
I was also like, come on. I remember going to school till the last minute on Wednesday. Oh my God. You know, getting a Wednesday night flight to go visit family or something. I remember the greatest moment I think in my whole school career was I can remember exactly where I was when it happened. We like how you call school your career. (laughs) That's it. I I feel like I'm still in it. I didn't pay. No, no, no. I just feel like a professional at it. That's how long I did it for. You know what I mean? And how much time it took me to get through school. It's like, I've got to be a pro by now. So so when I was in, I want to say it was like middle school, we were in Hebrew school, which we had uh, at some points we had three days a week, but then two days a week. And it was like Tuesday evening and it was coming up to, the Christmas break. I like how I was at Hebrew school and Christmas break was coming up. And I was like, we got wind of like everyone knew there was a big snowstorm coming. Snow, snow, snowstorm was on the way, right? And we were like, oh, okay, snowstorm's on the way and whatever. And we're at like the the Hebrew school is seven to nine PM. And somewhere in the middle of it, they caught they were like, they already announced that like it was canceled through the break. And I I, I, I we went nuts. We were like, wow, it was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah, our kids don't have that now because they just cancel it through the break since they start yeah. September. It's <laughs> Sucks to be you exciting. guys. No surprises. No surprise. They already know. We don't also, I mean, we're in California now, so there's no snow days either, which was another uh, I remember it was like, get the, like the only day of the day of the school year that I would wake up at 5 a.m. and skip shower and breakfast and run downstairs and turn on the TV was when you knew it was gonna snow and you just sit there for sure. At, you know, oh yeah. We had, we had like things, I felt like you could like call a phone number and like you would call it over and over and over again. You know what I mean? Like it was like, you were so like, come on snow day. Do you guys get like earthquake day? Does anything happen over there? No, no earthquake day. They don't predict those <laughs> things. They just happen that they're, they're more terrifying than snow. I understand. But if it got me off of school, I wouldn't be that terrified. I don't know. I'd be they like, can't oh, predict it. I don't think they can predict it. It's just one of those no. things like, oh, there was an earthquake. They're not like in 10 minutes, there's going to be an earthquake. I know there's like a pre-tremor. There's definitely a pre-tremor of sorts, but like, I don't think it's enough to be like, Oh, let's call out a school right now. Yeah. Tomorrow. Like, yeah yes, exactly. <laughs> they don't, and they don't know what, it, if it's a tremor or the actual earthquake is the thing. They're not, it's not that. Advanced, right. Yes. Right. Sounds like, uh, anyway, so uh, that's, I'm, I'm sorry for you, man. That's not fun. That is not yeah. fun to lose all that. Do you celebrate Thanksgiving or not? Oh, oh, so let me tell you a story or two. Okay. So not only do we th- celebrate Thanksgiving, I, when I say we, I'm talking about Thanks so we much, transplant. everybody. That's our show. Time's up. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we have a, we, all the transplant Americans do, right? Um, and what happened was my, I, I, Leia, Leia's actually away. I'm actually in the middle of like crazy week where she's in Greece with her program with all the students. And I, um, have been taking care of the kids since I don't know Tuesday last week. It's it's like almost a it's it's almost a week. And the only thing that was amazing was it, like Tuesday afternoon when she was about to leave. Uh, my new uh, neighbor who lives downstairs, who one of my closest friends, calls me up and he's like, "Hey, we bought two live turkeys and we're gonna get we're gonna we're gonna do the kosher slaughter on them. Come on down." And I was like, "What?" And I was like, "I had to come down and help them." And we had. A 37 pound turkey. What? For dinner. It was, that was, it was giant. It was the scariest thing that's ever happened. And it's like, he shows up in my house and he's like, it's like 2 30, it's like 10 30 at night. And he's like, all right, let's get this thing prepared. 2 30 in the morning, we put it in the oven. It barely fit in the oven. Like it was so ginormous. You can't even imagine. How did they feed them there in Israel? 
Uh, you know, there's a, there's a farm of some sort. I mean, the guy who got them was like, <laughs> I have no idea. But the funny part was we, my, uh, my friend, he took the smaller of the two. Like the other one was probably like 40 pounds. It was ginormous. I was like, I don't even know how this guy cooked it. He was said it delicious I, or did it taste like it was mutated uh, meat? Like somehow it was just destroyed. The deliciousness was beyond, it's the best turkey I ever had in my life. Wow. Hands down. I mean, it was the white meat and the dark meat were totally equal. There was no dryness whatsoever. And when That's I said we it cooked should it, be. just if you're listening, yeah, white and the dark should be equal. Hundred percent, and it was like that's what we stand by—an anti-racist show about <laughs> turkey meat. It's like the black and white cookie on Thanksgiving with the turkey. So yeah, so I'm I'm with you, but the um, but it was so good. I think I I don't know if I'll ever be able to do it again. It was like that amazing. Mm-hmm. It was so good. Well, that's cool. Glad you celebrated the independence of your mother country. Yeah, I, I don't forget the independence. By the way, when I was here studying uh, in yeshiva, so when I was studying for school to be a rabbi, um, I actually came to the head of the school and told him, I said, I'm a little disappointed because they, there was like, you know, food that was made for the, we were in dorms, so they made food for us. And I was like, why are we not doing Thanksgiving? And he was like, we'll be doing Thanksgiving from here on out. He was like, <laughs> he was he was a big Thanksgiving guy. So I, I think the guy in the kitchen got in trouble for that. That's funny. That's funny. Well, cool. So you, we wanted to talk today a little bit about burnout. Where did that come from? I'll tell you. It, um, the truth is I started writing a piece. Um, I'm trying to get something into one of the Jewish magazines, online magazines, um, and they sort of agreed to do it. They said, you know, yeah, we think what your idea sounds really good and whatever. And so I, I don't know, they told me to pitch an idea. So I pitched an idea and I sort of made it up as I went. It was like, you know how they do those pitches for TV shows and they just sort of make it up as they go along. But no, I had like a somewhat of an idea. So I told them what I wanted to do. And then I wrote, I think I worked on it for, I don't know, it's like maybe five weeks at least. Wait, say it again. And what is this pitch for? It's I'm going to write like an op-ed piece. Okay. For one of the Jewish uh, publications. Okay. That makes more sense. There you go. Sorry. So I'm going to write this piece and the op-ed piece. I had to like give them an idea before I wrote it. I wasn't allowed to like write something and send it in. They were like, no, you pitch the idea and then we tell you whether or not we like it. So I was like, oh, fine. So I pitched them the idea. They said it was good. And then I started writing and I wrote for, I like I said, I think I wrote for like five weeks and I edited and edited and edited and helped, you know, got help from my wife, got help from my father. Like all the, like, my father's a writer, like editing, editing, editing. And, and I finally feel like, okay, I got it. And I sent it in and the guy said, look, it's good, but it's not really the piece. And it was the most deflating thing. Like it was so, it was like, I worked so hard and I thought it was so good. And he was like, yeah, not really. And he, and he really, no, but like his critique was a good critique. Like I, I had to like sit back and say, he's probably right on this. You know what I mean? Even though I don't think it was bad, it wasn't, it wasn't, the way it wasn't as good as it could be. It wasn't as focused as it could have been. And like the energy that it took me to sort of pick myself back up and then start writing again, it, it, I, it took me weeks before I could, I felt like I couldn't write. And I've never had that before. Like my writing, I just want to point this out. Like my writing's like, I just do whatever the heck I want. Like I've been writing for like a blog sort of sphere in one of the Jewish papers and I can write whatever I want. I like write one page thing and done. 
And this was like supposed to be 1800 page, you know, sorry, 1800 words. Thank God I had 1800 pages. Um, and it was supposed to be really massive. And I, and, and so I, I was like totally dealing with a whole new reality of like somebody who's actually critiquing my work and I, it doesn't get published until he says that it's good. And it just deflated me. And I really felt like it was like the first time I had writer's block and I had to, I don't know. I, I, have you ever had something like that? Has that ever, have you ever hit like a wall like that and just been, you couldn't, you know, I don't know if it like happens in sermons or things like that. Do you ever feel that way? So you're talking more about feeling kind of beat down and deflated than burnout. Is that what you're well, saying? it felt like, right. It didn't feel like maybe burnout was the wrong word I used, but like, I felt like maybe I had done so much writing that I just, yeah, maybe, I mean, it was a, a mixture of both. Maybe I had done too much work on it. You know what I mean? And then to get a negative answer, you know what I mean? Like made it feel like I was just, I had no nothing left in the tank. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ever, so ever, when I used to, I mean, when I was writing comedy a lot, that definitely was the case. You know, you sort of, you prep a lot of jokes, you put a lot of effort into it and do a lot of writing. And, um, and then when you bomb, obviously you're trying to, you try to separate yourself from the laughter, but you also, I mean, that drives you into, you know, the, the, your, your self-esteem for the next joke and for getting back up. So, I mean, there were a few times I bombed and then I just got back to writing. I was like, okay. And I had regular gigs in Providence. And, um, so I had to host, I think two different, uh, oh no, I had to host an open mic and then one rolled into a, um, another night where I would do the, I was the, the kind of opener, that would set up the middle and the headline. So I kind of hosted, but um, did my own bits anyway. Mm -hmm. um, so, but yeah, it was hard because it was just like, you'd come back and be like, how do I do this again? <laughs> like yeah. nobody laughed. This didn't work. I don't know what's wrong with this joke. I don't know. Uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah, how and it could have been, it could have been the people, right? It couldn't, it might not have been the joke itself. It might've been the people that were there. It could have been a whole, maybe they didn't drink enough. It was too early in the night. There's a lot of factors that go into that, right? Right. But you always think it's you. I mean, I'm sure you sure. came about the op-ed you were writing was, oh gosh, it's all me and my writing when really it, it, it sounds like it was just wasn't what he was looking for maybe. Right? Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. And I think um, what was interesting about what you said is I'm imagining what if I had like a hundred editors staring me in the face going, no, that's not it. You know what I mean? Like that. Like, yeah, really... in live time, like you're in the second yeah. sentence, and like, oh gosh, uh, and it's funny because I have more grammar. Yeah, I have. Um, there's a one of the synagogues around in my neighborhood asked me to speak sometimes, and and you know it's just something that everybody sort of pitches in, I guess. And I um, and so I I ever almost every time I've done it, my neighbor um has come up to me afterwards, and I feel like I come up with like creative original ideas. And he'll walk up to me and go, uh, yeah, no, no, that's yeah. like, and I'm like, that's basically what you dealt with. You dealt with like, I got like one heckler who doesn't even heckle me during the thing, but like, you're sitting there with like, I don't know. Did anybody heckle you when you did that? Heckling when I, when I was bombing? Oh yeah. I mean, even yeah. if I wasn't bombing, I got hecklers. It's just kind of the nature of the beast, especially when you're, uh, opening people weren't there to see me. You know, I was just the guy they had to endure to get to who they paid for. for no, totally. It's the worst. Um, open mics were a little better because usually it was comedians and friends of comedians that would show up to those places. And so they weren't generous laughers. They weren't, you know, they didn't laugh at everything, but they weren't heckling. You know, they, just, right. they were just kind of blase. Um, 
so yeah, heckling, heckling was hard too, but again, totally different than what you're talking about. So why do you think you got in that phase where you were just like, cause, cause I think like people's response somehow making you unable to act is an interesting, uh, 100%. reaction. You know what I mean? Like you're like how I live day to day. If Kendra puts me, puts me down or I have mm-hmm. trouble at work or something, or, or, you know, I write something and no one likes it or I preach and it's not great. I'm still breathing. I'm still walking and talking and waking up and putting on my pants and pooping, obviously. Um, one leg at a time. Pooping one leg at a time. But um, but it doesn't affect my ability. You know, it doesn't affect any other natural physical ability, but somehow in that creative process, your energy was killed. Why do you think that was? It's hard. I mean, it's really hard for me to put my finger on it. I well, don't do know. It. I'm trying. I'm trying. So, Try so harder. I, so... I, I think maybe because it is a creative process and also because I don't know how you felt when you were doing comedy. I don't know if you felt like um, it probably feels like it in some way, but I feel like when I write, I somewhat attempt to bear my soul a little bit. I somewhat, I try, I think I try, and I don't know if I do a great job of it. I do try to get somewhat out there. You know what I mean? And it's not just the writing itself. It's like what you're writing about is emotional things. You're trying to like, you know, you try to put yourself in a, in a vulnerable place. And like, so when somebody tells you and he, and he was great about it, don't get me wrong. He wasn't, he was not at all, you know, uh, mean, he was wonder, he was totally generous. And all he said was, I think it might be better. Um, like, I'm not sure if what you wrote is the story. Some there's, there's maybe some story in there, but it's not, it's not the story. And, and, and just feeling like I, I put something out and, and maybe it's just also, I'm not used to it. You know what I mean? Because what do I, I mean, like the majority of what I get when I write things is there, there aren't so many negative responses. And if there are negative responses, cause people like, why do they want to respond negatively? Except if people are really against, you know, like philosophically against what I'm writing, I don't, and usually I can chalk those things up to like, I didn't do a bad job. They just don't agree with what I have to say. So that doesn't, that doesn't affect me. You know what I mean? But like when, when you sort of wrote something and and also I want to put it out there that like what I was writing, the pitch that I had done was I run it. I wanted to write about my daughter's bat mitzvah and I wanted to sort of write something that was, you know, meaningful and all those things, but really about the experience of her bat mitzvah and what it meant to me and whatever. And really the part that he lopped off was that, you know what I mean? It was like, yeah, I think the beginning part's really good, but the bat mitzvah part's not, it's not really, you know, I don't think it fits in. And then and I was like, and it's like, I really had to go back to square one. Um, and I don't know. And, and I think also I should put it out there probably as well that I, I felt like as a youth, when I was writing, writing was like one of the hardest things for me. It was like, I just couldn't organize when I sat down to write something, I think we're talking like, you know, papers for school, whatever. When I sat down to write, I couldn't organize my thoughts. And it was always this really hard, uh, laborious process to sit down with my father, who was the person who always helped me, you know, piece it together. Um, and him say, yeah, this doesn't make sense. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. And it always like it hurt, you know what I mean? And so when I started to write now as an adult, I always felt like sort of vindicated, like, look, I can do this. And now, and then this came back and I was like, oh, maybe I really can't do this. You know, maybe it just sort of reminded me of that as I was younger. You're just trying to prove it to your father. I'm always trying to prove it to my father. I'm trying to stick it to him is what I'm trying to do. Well, that's why you couldn't do it. There you go. No, I, I, 
You Thanks know, for listening, everybody. It's been a great show. Have a we, great day. We, but not only that, we figured it out. It's like, seriously, why should I pay anybody else? This is perfect. <laughs> That's the problem with therapy is you can't just tell people their problem or they won't go anywhere with it. You got to let them. Totally. Yeah. Which is a lot better totally. moneymaker, to be honest. They make way more money not telling people their problems than telling them the first day <laughs> of what their problem is. Yeah. Oh, I think... Problem. Yeah, no, I think like they, most people, I feel like know where something is the problem. You just, you can't just tell them like, well, just, you know, get thin, stupid. Or what was that? What was that one? Uh, Troy McClure from Simpsons? I'm Troy McClure. You may remember <laughs> me from such films as smoke yourself thin and get confident, stupid. Perfect. You nailed it. You nailed it. Ugh. And if you're missing Phil Hartman right now, then you're on the right track because we, I miss him every day. Oh my oh. God. What a, I love that man. Um, No, but look, the, that, that experience of sort of being told, um, no, go back to the drawing. But like, how many times have I, how many times have I had that, at, you know, post, you know, college, maybe even high school, who knows? You know what I mean? Like who says that to you in your day-to-day -day life? You know what I mean? In your day-to-day -day life, somebody can come up and tell you like, ah, I didn't like this or whatever, but like, you don't have to go back and do it over. Do you know what I mean? You don't have to like, sure. Do you still have rewrite nightmares? It. Do you still have nightmares about taking tests and not being prepared? Totally. Oh my God. I definitely, I feel like I do, but probably my, my dreams are probably more like preemptive where I'm like, I, I, it's like the test isn't even there. And I still I just haven't studied enough. I feel like I always have to study more. You know what I mean? I'm trying desperately not to impose that upon my children. You know what I mean? That like, I used to study an overstudy through college. It was ridiculous. And I'm just like, if you feel like you've got enough studying under your belt and the grade comes back, okay, then good. You figured out a good balance because I was a mess. I was a mess in that department. Hmm. Yeah. I, I don't, I luckily those dreams don't happen as often, but uh, yeah, it's definitely, they're definitely there. Um, but the nice, I'll tell you what was the nice thing. The nice thing was I immediately, not immediately, as soon as I possibly felt like I could, I got back on the horse. And the nice thing was when I got back on the horse, I got shoved off the horse again. I sat back down and I said, that's it. I'm just going to write something. And I tried to write something for two different surfing magazines. Like totally was like, okay, I'm not going to write about Judaism right now. I'm just going to write about surfing because I know about surfing. And I uh, I sat down and I think I wrote something that was decent as well. It was about um, this time that I was surfing in, in Long Beach and, you know, got like a huge barrel and whatever. And I was like, oh, this will be great. And I sent it to this guy and he's like, it was so funny. The response was amazing. I mean, he, again, what I want to give this guy due credit. He was amazing. He was super sweet. And he said, you know, he wrote back and he said, you know, it's, it's really well-written. It's clear. It's thought out. And he said, but you have to understand like, and he used these words and I'm going to try to explain them because I'm not even sure I understand them because we're like a core magazine. And he's like, so we like, yours just seems like it's something for beginners. And I was like, ouch. <laughs> it's like, I was like, that really hurt. You know what I mean? But I was like, Hey, I'm back on the horse. I got back up. Yeah. And you did the writing. Yeah. I mean, that's the process. So I don't, maybe it's different for me, but part of, partly, you know, I'm, I'm writing an article that gets published every week. I'm writing a sermon that gets preached every week. Um, how many times, how many times do you do the, the sermon on that day, by the way? Three. Oh my God. Um, yeah, I mean, do you feel like it gets better? I just this is just totally sidebar, guys. I'm sorry, I have to ask this. Does, do you feel like it gets better second, third time, or like what do you think happens? So, <clears throat> similar to comedy, you know, I, I work it out on paper. I get up and I practice in an empty room in the sanctuary and faith center where I'm going to be doing it. So I've done it live twice with wow. no with no congregation there. 
And then, so the, the eight o'clock, the early service, I'm definitely still working out the last minute kinks and seeing what hits and what doesn't hit and what feels right. Um, I've used, I've used, I'm pretty good at having polished and decided what I'm actually talking about. I find the, mm -hmm. the number one problem preachers have is they don't know what they're trying to say most of the time. Like they have all mm -hmm. these things that they think are related and it becomes this like stone soup of ideas that are somewhat loosely related, but there's no, they're not pulling the thread through and making a point. I feel like I'm pretty good with that. So eight o'clock is really just polishing and fine tuning. Like how do I hit this strong point better? Where do I put my inflection? Where do I slow down or speed up? How do I you know, how do I captivate and engage people? So eight o'clock is usually good, not great. Nine thirty. So you're is saying you're saying don't come to the eight o'clock. That's what you're saying. Like yeah, come to the nine because the, the nine thirty showing is completely different uh -huh. from the eight thirty show. Go ahead. Yeah. So nine thirty is usually the best to be honest because several reasons. One, I've polished it at eight. Um, it's a much more it's the contemporary service. So I'm usually in what I'm wearing right now: jeans, sneakers, a nice shirt, or some kind, yes. some some like not uber casual but something you know nicer nicer clothes oh but, right because you told me you have to wear like the gown and the whole thing right it's like some of the time you have to do that yeah at the eight and eleven it's it's traditional so i'm in the white uh, white dress the the all the, the stole i always thought you looked best in the white dress i gotta be honest sorry go ahead i do look, I do look pretty pretty and pretty <laughs> and uh, innocent uh yeah, go ahead and so 9 30 i've got the most adrenaline it's still cooking i'm excited i'm casual i'm comfortable um, I've got the sermon polished and it's a much more generous crowd. You know, I think they're, they're a lot of, you know, kind of fun loving they're there for, it's a contemporary band. So it energizes me more. It's my soul better. So I've got more energy coming back to me where a lot mm -hmm. of times, you know, the early service, it's a lot of people who woke up early are typically traditional folks. So they're not engaging. They're not laughing. They're not nodding. So I'm mm -hmm. putting in 120% of the effort to get people to get to 80% of the engagement. You know what I mean? Oh man, that's the worst. So I'm putting in, so I'm, so, but, it, but I'm getting some back. Like I'm seeing people responding and laughing and nodding and I'll ask a question and get 10 people sort of, a, you know, riffing and this is in the middle one. This is the nine thirty one. Yeah. One. Yep. So it's yep. there's more, they're, they're there to give and receive. They're not just there as a like consumers. Mm. Um, so that one's usually the most, it's most authentic. And I think most clearly, engaging and to to the point hits the point best 11 o'clock i've usually got the the message done really well but my adrenaline's burnt off i haven't eaten since 5 a.m and oh my god i'm just sort of like okay sometimes i'm totally riding on fumes and i'm like an empty shell sometimes i'm still there but i'm like i have to remind myself oh this is where you need to get loud or this is where you need to put in energy or mm -hmm. it, coming up's the part where you have to do this and then I'll be like, it's, it's almost like an actor, right. Faking it rather than having a genuine, like, you know, a genuine energy about what I want to say. And you really want right. it genuine because it's not a show. It's really, a, you know, trying to, trying to connect people to God in a way. So if it's not genuine, it just feels like, you know, televangelists from the eighties. Can I give you, can I give you a piece of advice from when I was uh, teaching surfing in uh, Santa Cruz? Yeah, I used to put in my wetsuit leg, I used to put a power, uh, like a power bar in the leg of my suit. You know, yeah, I would just pop I it out in the middle. I got it in my yeah? suit. Yeah, for when sure. I'm but I'm saying, not when I'm preaching, I'm going to. Oh, come on. You should have one right in your sock. You got your black it, socks. Put it just, under my watch and then I'll just leave. You don't even have like a, hold on. You don't even chewing. have like a minute where you can, you can turn around and just pop something in your mouth or something. Uh, I mean, I do and I don't, it's just tough. I think if I have, I, it's, it's really tapering, uh, 
food wise, it's really tapering it. Cause if I have too much of the wrong thing, I, I get exhausted. And right. if I, so no Turkey dinner, no Turkey dinner. You're saying in the middle of the, I got yeah, it. Go exactly. ahead. Exactly. So it's, I don't know. I, I, I've got it dialed in. I just kind of ride the fumes. And then every Sunday, the family knows I get a post sermon coma. I go home, I, I say hi and I go right to bed and just crash hard. I mean, my whole body is just like, numb. it's a lot of work, man. It's a lot of work. No doubt. Other, like I, I feel work, like the other bit of work that goes in is it's such an extroversion, extroverted, um, abundance the whole morning, you know, there's seven sure. who come through love to see them say hi, check in on them and got to remember names and life and what's going on. And, you know, it's, and, so wait, and how long is the sermon generally speaking? Uh, 12 to 30 minutes. Did you say 30 at the end of there? 12 to 30. Yeah. That's impressive. Cause I remember when I heard you speak the one time at your church and like, it didn't feel like 30 minutes, but I don't know. I didn't even, I don't even think it felt 13 minutes, but like when I speak, I'm super drained. And mine are like, if it's three minutes, <laughs> that's like the longest it gets to. Like, I always feel like if you can't give over your idea, but this is me, because like most of the people in, in synagogue, they're not expecting like a real, you know, fire brimstone long sermon. They want like, can we just get on it? There's like a kiddish after this, you know, there's like a little, we're going to go do some eating after this and drink a little bit. So if you could just like speed along, they, they know they have to have it, but they don't, they don't want anything long. So like three minutes, that's it. And I'm exhausted after three minutes. And I did it one time. You know what I mean? If I do it at all, that's Shabbat. It's impressive, man. All right. Sorry. That was a side, total sidebar note. I'll tell you one other thing that I was thinking of. Okay. I actually, and, and I think that's why I was also thinking about burnout was the, um, I was listening to a different podcast this week on my way to going surfing. Um, I went on Sunday morning and as I was on my way, I turned on this thing called surf splendor. If you, if anybody's into surfing or isn't into surfing, it's a great podcast. It's a little long, but it's a great podcast. And he had on someone who's um, his guest is, has basically written the encyclopedia of surfing. So he's like this, he's chronicled like everything about surfing and they started out their conversation and all of a sudden they jumped into the fact that he, I think lives now in Seattle. I think he grew up in like somewhere in Southern California now lives in Seattle. And, and he, and the guy was just like, yeah, I don't surf anymore. And I was like, what? And I was like, he, and he went through this whole, like his whole experience and why for him, it wasn't a big deal for him to step away from surfing. He and, and the words he actually used was, he said, I was no longer advancing. And I was such a, I mean, he was a professional, but I think, you know, he, he really felt like, and he said, if I wasn't advancing, I didn't feel like I needed to be surfing. And I was like, oh my God, I would have quit surfing like 20 years ago. I haven't advanced. I mean, I don't advance. I just, and I couldn't imagine, I started getting like really, sort of consumed in the idea of like, is it ever going to happen for me? Am I ever going to have this time where I'm all of a sudden going to turn to something that I love and say, I just don't want to do this anymore. Mm. And it was very, it was scary. It was really like, it really made me feel like, oh my God, you know, I, I just, I couldn't imagine it, which I guess is a good thing. But at the same time, I mean, there's so many things I love to do in my life and that thing that's always been in the back of my head is like, what, when is it going to come that I can't surf anymore or, or even learn? I mean, I love to learn, you know, Jewish texts, like when's it going to come and what am I going to do that day when I don't have that ability to do those things anymore? And this guy still has the abilities to, he just doesn't have the drive to do it anymore. And I thought like, wow, 
Yeah, so that's the theme, scary the theme reality here is is not physically not being able to do it, but kind of your anxiety overwhelming your abilities, right? Like your your head gets in the way of the actual process, right? Totally, totally. And and I was like, that I mean, even if it's not, I mean, it could also be more of a, a, a on the depressive side, you know what I mean? Where somebody where you get to a point in your life and you feel like, wow, I can't you know, I can't do these things anymore. I don't have the, I mean, I don't know if you've ever had that point. And I think we've talked about this before where, you know, and there's been a moment in my life where I've said like, I I don't have, whether it is, whether it's either the calm, the stillness of your mind to focus on what you need to do, or mm-hmm. if it's just, you don't feel it anymore. You know what I mean? And that's, and, and that's really, you know, it's a scary thing. And, and, and I was thinking about this writing experience and how happy I was that I could just get back on the horse because the truth is I, I rewrote the piece. I think it's, I hope it's better. I'm going to send it into the guy in like a week or so, but like that feeling of like, no, I just, you know, I'm, I'm okay walking away. That's what, those were his words. It just found it's, if it scared me. Mm. Yeah. The, the emotionally not being able to do it is hard because there's a bit of grief there that you is uncontrollable for some people. Right. Um, but the big part of it is, I think, the creative process. Um, I think treating it as a creative process has always helped me, um, you know, with your writing and with hobby, like surfing or anything physical, mm-hmm. physical, right? Like, I think when, it's when we take something so seriously and so rigid that it doesn't work for us, it becomes uh, crippling in the future because it's not, you know, we're not playing with it anymore, right? There's something in our mind that told us this is dangerous. Like our lizard brain is in that flight response where we can never do it again. Right. Right. When really like surfing should be playful at all times in all places. Right. Kelly Slater mm-hmm. still gets out there and loves it. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, same thing with, with, with writing and, and preaching some of the, and that's why I think one of the most big, biggest game changers for my work um, as a creative pastor, somebody who likes to, you know, create content and preach and teach and write pod, do podcasts and write articles is, um, just treating it as a, as a creative process and not as a speech, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. and being able to play with things and not holding them so tightly. And then, you know, I remember early on, I'd have so many ideas that I would get to the end of it and be like, Oh geez, this is going to be too long. I've got too many good things be like, Oh, Oh, well. And I would just throw them all in there and it wouldn't work because I was holding on too tightly to the ideas I had rather than being like, Oh, that was a great idea. It's just not meant for this piece of art. You know what I mean? Right. It's almost right. Like if you treat it like guerrilla theater, like you just show up, you do a thing, you send out, you get a message out. It may not be, you know, the message received might be different, but, and then it's done and it'll never happen again. It's much cooler. And it, I've, I don't, haven't gotten so overwhelmed with people being like, well, I didn't enjoy that one. And I want to be like, well, it wasn't for you and I don't care. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to please you. I'm trying to get this message across. So did you hear this? Most of the time the answer is yes. So part of it is just, I think, treating it creatively. Um, mm-hmm. John Cleese from uh, Monty Python just in the past year published a book. I think it's called a short, a short writing on creativity or something on creativity by John Cleese. And mm. it's so amazing. It's it, and it actually helps with that kind of um, overwhelming sense of being shut down 
And one of the things he says is you just got to play. He's like, you got to, you got to have a disciplined play. So he has times every day when he's scheduled and blocked out his time just to sit down and do his, you know, mostly comedy writing work. And he just plays with it. He just tosses an idea down and writes some things and he doesn't try and make it. Sometimes I think we take it so seriously, like in your writing, you're probably trying to make it the finished work of work that it was going to be like, Oh, right. where, what sentence does this need to lead into? I want a paragraph rather than being like, Oh, here's an idea. What are 10 other things I think about when I think about the circumcision of my daughter? Like you're playing with it rather than writing it because writing has this like intense gravity. And if it's going to be published, it has that political pressure. I mean, the public pressure on it. But if you're playing with it, you're like, who the hell cares? I'm just writing words on a page. Totally. And totally. And later you can polish it up and make it work for that medium. But that was, that was another great, great book that anyone can access is the John Cleese one. That sounds really great. I mean, he, he I heard him speak here in, uh, in Israel a couple, about a year or two ago, and he's, uh, he's fantastic. So I'm sure it's great. Um, but no, you're absolutely right. And I think one of the other things um, that probably helps also, it, it might be a little bit too rigid and, you know, for the, what you were just saying, but in a way, I think that I don't spend any time sort of preparing an out, like doing an outline, you know, how people like, you know, like they do all the, like, I just sit down and I just, it just flows right out. And in some ways that can be very good. Like you were saying, like, just see what comes and see what goes. But then sometimes I sit here and go like, I'm almost like editing as I go. Do you know what I mean? Which is a really bad idea. Like, yeah, totally. I feel like yep. it's a, such a bad idea. And like, I'm hearing the ideas of like things that I'm supposed to do to improve the writing. And then, and then the writing comes out and it has like, no, has nothing to it. You know what I mean? It's like this, then this, then that, then this, then that. And you're absolutely right. Like there's a time where you just have to like, if you're feeling something, go for it and and just go with it, you know? Um, uh, but yeah, I think one of the things that, I thankfully don't feel like I run into run into this too many times in my life, but I think having having good skills to um, deal with the times where you feel that emotional depletion. You know what I mean? I don't know if you have things that you do, like you said, you go home and you go to sleep. You know what I mean? Right, right after you're finished, you're you know. Well, yeah, three if you sermons. told me to preach after I just preached, yeah, I'd be done. I'd be like hell no. Right, but I think there are probably like I don't. I don't, maybe it's also because I don't live in a place where you can do it so easily, you know, but like, I wish that I live in a place where, you know, I'm feeling that sort of overwhelmed feeling or whatever you want to call it, you know, from not succeeding at that thing. And I was like, I'm just going to go out and surf. You know what I mean? Like those sort of outlets, I'm sure would help me, you know, bounce back more, more quickly and, and help me help the ideas start flowing again. You know what I mean? Do you have anything else that you do to, to sort of help yourself? when you're feeling those things, if you, you do, do it, I mean, there's, there's the discipline of just doing it, like just having a, every day has to have an input and an output. So you gotta be reading something related and writing something related, because if you're not all of a sudden, you're like, you're some, you're like a basket uh, NBA basketball player who never practices, but expects to perform on the day of the you know championship. Sure. Right. And I think the input, I think we think we've got everything we need, but if you're not reading similar articles and consuming, you know, documentaries and other movies about what you want to talk about, it's, you're not getting anywhere. You're not growing either. And nobody, I think I, I've, I've never enjoyed uh, listening or reading from someone who's not growing. You know, it's always kind of mm -hmm. boring, blase, and most of it's kind of based in negativity or um, uh, maybe haughtiness. 
haughtiness or conservatism, right? Like they're trying to conserve what was held in the past rather than helping helping the world evolve in some way. And I don't mean politically conservative. I mean, like, no, sure. Just bad mouthing anything different or new and just not interesting. Totally. Um, wow, man, this is really great. Yeah. Yeah. It worked out well. Well, hopefully you get back into writing and, uh, you know, don't always put yourself, don't always put the pressure on selling it or getting it published, you know, just write something for yourself and then shred it. Nice. I think I will. I think that's just a good as idea. Good. Just as good as that dude shredding it. Like, what's the difference? You know what I mean? Yeah, man. I'm, if I'm probably, I could probably do it quicker and not send out the email. Yeah. Don't, <laughs> don't send the email. Or make up a, make up your own, uh, make up your own publication and, and just send it to yourself. For sure. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening in. Peace out. Thanks for listening.